Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. All right, welcome to somewhere in the skies we've been talking off air for about 20 minutes now and this is what happens when you get the three of us together so shannon Legros, seth breedlove welcome once again to somewhere in the skies hello hey you couldn't have picked a better time to kind of get into the ufo uh what would you even call it i guess space it started with the first season of on the trail of ufos and then Boom, Dark Sky hits. It's going to hit, I should say, August 3rd, which this will air, I believe, right around then. Um, And man, again, you guys hit solid gold when it comes to, you know, UFOs being in the mainstream. But what I found really interesting about this film, and we will talk about this, is this isn't your mainstream ufology. This isn't the Pentagon. This isn't, you know, the Navy UFO videos in the same three Uh, people on television telling you what to think about UFOs. And um, that's what I really appreciated about this film. So I have to ask, before we get into what was in Dark Sky, um, did you know, Seth, I guess Shannon too, did you guys know you wanted to continue on the trail of UFOs after the first uh, season hit Amazon, which I should mention has been viewed over 10 million times I saw in one of your pressers. That's incredible. Um, did you know that you wanted to continue doing this? It's considerably higher than 10 actually. Cause, cause they didn't, they don't take into account there. There's a Samsung app that the series is on. It's really only available currently in two places, but we're, we're trying to rectify that. I just literally had a meeting last night with 1091 about trying to fix this because Amazon basically took the, the series off the platform recently. It's still available for like rentals, but it's no longer on prime. Um, but it it's got to be closer to like 13 mil. I would think people have seen it by now. So it's it's a ton of people that have seen it. Um, but no, the fa- the fact is, um, and Shannon could probably vouch for this. For the first like half a year that the series was out, I was under the impression that it had been like, I mean, like flop would be the right word because I just was viewing. I guess I was viewing numbers you know like financial numbers more so than viewing numbers and then as the numbers caught up to where i was at early this year it became obvious that it was like probably the one of the most viewed things we've made um and then it became less about the finances and more about well the audience is clearly there for it um so so then the the trick then was that um we had kind of pivoted already though because my assumption was that the numbers were were low 
because of um, episodic content being really difficult to release independently. So we pivoted into let's do feature films. And, um, and I had already come up with like some self-contained story ideas for on the trail of UFOs, things that we could very easily condense into a film or that might only be uh, packaged as a film, I guess, instead of like an episodic series. And they would be more regional based rather than, you know, the sort of travel all over the world format that we used for the first series. Um, so we, we dark sky was the first I came up with. And the major reason we did that too was because of COVID um, in terms of travel, it was a lot easier for us to hop in a van and drive to West Virginia than it is fly all over the country during the midst of everything. And there were stories in West Virginia that I'd really been itching to tell for a while. Um, so I knew I wanted to continue it, but I didn't know how exactly we would. And it was then just trying to figure out what the best way to tell those stories would be, um, given the financial constraints we're constantly under. Right, right. How about for you, Shan? Like uh, you went all, you guys went all over the country for the first series. And, And I have to say again, like I've done, you know, the podcast for a while now. I've done several TV shows and everything, but I have never had that many people reach out to me until after on the trail of UFOs premiered. I can't tell you how many people like emailed me and said, Whoa, I just saw you on Amazon prime and this and that. And I was like, wow, this really, this, if you think about it, it, it reaches more people than any cable network can or anything like that. So the fact that you did this independently and it's reached more people and open more minds to UFOs than like CNN, Fox, History Channel, Travel Channel combined. I just, I think that's amazing. So um, yeah, Shen, what did you think? Were you ready and raring to get back out there and look at UFOs after the first series? Or were you like, I need a break from this? She probably no. needed a break from me. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, no. I mean, harassing Seth is one of my, my joys in life, really, you know, when we're out on the road. But no, honestly, filming with the STM crew is my vacation. Honest, honest to goodness. I love being with, they're my boys. I mean, and I'm just, I'm really, I'm one of the guys, I am a damn fool. And Seth can tell you that uh, I'm a huge idiot and I don't mind, you know, making fun of myself and others occasionally. And uh, I... For me, Dark Sky, what, and as amazing as the first season was, and to go to all those places, went to Sedona, went to New York City to see you. I mean, places that I had never even been, people that I'd never met. The fact that Dark Sky was so focused, I think, is going to make a huge difference. And I'm, I mean, legitimately, I'm very excited for people to see this and for us to, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this, but to film the second part of the second uh, second season coming up which will also be very focused so it's a completely different format than season one and we're really getting past kind of the okay we've shown you some of the ufo kind of 101 stuff and now mm-hmm. we're trying to dig a whole lot deeper and uh, pun intended i guess uh, considering what dark sky is about but um this is a fantastic season and i'm very excited for everybody to see it Awesome. Yeah, it really does bring, I think, on the trail of UFOs back to what Small Town Monsters is, you know, focusing on an area, focusing on the people in those areas and how that kind of influences 
the phenomenon and vice versa. And this time around, it was West Virginia, a place I think a lot of UFO people are very familiar with, but people who don't look at UFO history like I do every single day of my life, they might not know that a lot of the early stuff happened here. I mean, some of our most famous cases, famous lore, the men in black being one of them as well. And, and Indra cold, which we will get into all that, but, um, you guys started the film in, um, exactly the way I would have, um, for whatever that's worth. And that's with a witness, you know, someone who is deeply affected by having a UFO event. And this happened to, uh, Kenneth in, in West Virginia. So, um, Man, what a dramatic UFO sighting to start the film out with. What did you guys think about this story that uh, Kenneth had to tell you? And could you maybe just walk us through it a little bit and uh, your initial impressions and what you walked away with with his uh, pretty dramatic UFO sighting? Well, I can tell you that Kenneth's sighting from the beginning was one. There were there were two big sighting stories. And Shannon will probably want to talk about this a little bit, too, because her and Kenneth really hit it off. But... um there were two really big sighting stories going into this that I knew were going to play sort of like pivotal roles. I originally thought they'd be bookends, but the one got moved a little further into the interior of the film. And that was uh, our anonymous witness story. But the interesting thing about both of these stories is that they're featured in Bob Teat's uh, mountain state UFO case book, um, which is like this little known UFO case book that compiles all these really fascinating uh, sightings from the state. And um, so Kenneth, yeah, Kenneth basically over the course of the week of, of a week back in, if I remember right, it's like the 1980s, but maybe Shannon can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, during the 1980s, um, he had a series of sightings of a, um, like a diamond shaped craft that appeared um, across from his house over this hill, over this power line. Um, and he got the impression that this thing was actually like leaching energy off of this power line. Um, and it happened, I think they had five sightings in seven days is kind of like how it went, but his whole family saw this thing uh, on, on multiple occasions, including his mom. Um, there was an event as well during the same week where he encountered some sort of hazmat suited individual in the forest behind his house. Um, that's super fascinating. And it all sort of points to a bigger picture um, for UFOs, not just in the state of West Virginia, but in, in, you know, around the country and around the world, I guess as well. And that is this idea of UFOs and energy Um you know, energy as a source or whatever it is, there's, there's a definitely a correlation. And it's interesting. Some of the people that we've shown the movie to already, already have reached out with like their own input on like some, some of the, the lines we're drawing in the movie. Um, and I've also seen some reviews where like people aren't, they've never, there was one review that came out like a week ago and they legitimately couldn't tell if we had faked all this. They, they were under the assumption that this might be like a fictional movie because of the final sort of connection we're making between the sightings. Um, because it's so, I guess to someone from the outside, it seems so bizarre, mm -hmm. but anyone that's been looking into UFOs for any length of time has already made that you know, drawn those lines for themselves. So, um, 
it's a really cool sequence. The coolest thing about that sequence is, um, first of all, that Kenneth was able to tell his story to us and do it in, in such a, I mean, Shannon really had a bear of a time calming him down and making sure like he was comfortable on camera. Cause he had no intention of going on camera at any point to tell the story. So she had to really talk him through that whole process. Um, and the other thing is like Santino's effects in that scene are so cool. Like I really yeah. love the little like UFO over the power line shots and stuff. It just is such a nice, like it has like a Spielberg vibe to it that I really dig. And um, there's also at some point, I want to go back to something you said earlier about this being going back to like the roots of what STM is. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It's such a, like I've been told um, like Heather that, that does all our research, did all the research on this movie and everything. This is her favorite STM movie. And she said, it's like the quintessential small town monsters movie. Cause it's like jumping from, small town to small town. And even though we don't get into like the history of these places necessarily, you're getting like, especially wheeling, like the sequence with Shannon and I and Matt and wheeling and Matt's just like this local restaurant owner talking about wheeling West Virginia. And it's such a cool little, that's like what I pictured when I pictured small town monsters. <laughs> so it's just weird to do that within on the trail of, cause with on the trail of kind of exists outside of that, but it's mm-hmm. cool to get back to those roots for me. Shannon can talk now. Cool. <laughs> I don't see why I need to. I well, the the the. I'm glad you brought that up, Seth, because like I know it's hard to get witnesses to, let alone speak, you know, in email or you know even on a podcast. But then to put your face on camera, it's a whole other ball game. And you could tell that guy was pretty shaken up by these experiences. And while you know, as a viewer, we might be whoa, cool, like. UFO sucking the energy off a power line. Like he was a kid when this happened, if I'm correct. And like mm-hmm. this traumatized him. So what was that like? Like trying to get a witness to really, I guess, bear their soul with this really unusual story. Well, and it's important to mention that where that is filmed is the exact location of his sighting, right. uh, which to me was huge and striking. And, you know, another part of that story is, and, you know, I don't, obviously we're giving some things away, but folks are going to watch it here pretty quickly is that they, you know, he shot at the thing at some point, him and maybe one of the neighbors, Seth or his brother. Um, That is how traumatized he was. But for me, and I've said this before, probably ad nauseum is I like to come at it from the, the human side of it and the, the personal side. How did it affect you? You know, did you sleep for, you know, 10 years after that? What, what happened after that? So when he was reticent to talk on camera, I actually just kind of fell into my, my ITF role. And I'm like, uh, we can, we can do this, Kenneth. Like you're a good man. You got this. And it, it worked and it, it was like Seth already said, like I, I did, I loved Kenneth. I don't know why I just felt this kinship with him. And we actually got to see him for a second time uh, that you'll see him in the movie in two different locations. And that is two different trips. And that is of course the, the Bowden or Bowden cave. I, I never say that properly yeah. probably, uh, for that scene. And I, I hugged Kenneth before I left because I, there was just something about Kenneth to me. And I was also very proud of him for deciding to to be on camera and tell that harrowing story. It's yeah. not easy. Uh. One thing I should point out too is the f- the first season is definitely like 
it does what it needs to do. I th- I'm like really proud of what we did with the first season. The first season doesn't. I think the second th- this dark sky really plays to Shannon's strong suit, and that is talking to the witnesses and getting stories from people. Um, you know, the first season is so invested in kind of relaying the history of UFOs up to present day, and I think that was a really important first chapter. But for us, I think the series. And this isn't like I, I didn't intentionally do this. We never talked about doing this, but it does feel like in a way like the series is a response to the current state of ufology, especially like ufology entertainment, because it is so focused on, you know, like the the, the disclosure stuff and, and what's going on in the Pentagon and, and military sightings and all that and all that stuff's super fascinating. And but but this is very much focused on these smaller scale sightings that occur in regional locations and, and what might be tying them together, if anything. Um, but I think to me, it fe- it does feel like a bit of a response, which I think a lot of what we do feels like a response intentional or not. Yeah. Which I think is refreshing, Seth. I mean, again, like you guys know me, I'm all about people who've had experiences and those get overshadowed by everything else going on. Yeah. It's cool to hear about like military UFO encounters. It, legitimizes the topic it's Mm -hmm. exciting you know thinking that our military are you know coming up against these ufos and don't know what they are yeah that's concerning but i think it's also important to show that for every one of those military encounters there's a hundred people in west virginia in chicago in detroit and wherever like having these experiences everyday people and again, that's why I, I love that you guys put the microscope on these people in West Virginia. And um, one of those people was actually Susan Shepard, who uh, unfortunately passed away recently. But you guys were able to probably get one of the last interviews with her, which was really interesting. So would you guys mind telling us a little about who she was and um, kind of her role in all of this in West Virginia? Um, yeah, well... Uh, Susan, I had, it's funny. I'd, I'd been aware of Susan cause I traveled through West Virginia. I was just there over the weekend filming. Um, I feel like I'm probably, I know I'm in West Virginia more than any other state, including my own, like in terms of filming. Um, we, kn- I probably know more people in West Virginia that are involved in the paranormal than I do in Ohio. Like it's, it's my home away from home. Someday it'll be my home. Um, but Susan was someone who I met, um, while we were making Mothman Legacy, and I, I had wanted to meet her for for years, it just had never happened. Um, but we really hit it off when we were making that movie. And one of the stories she had told uh, during the filming was about um, her encounters with uh, Men in Black and Injured Cold. And I say this, but this is unfortunate. One of the things that was cut from the movie are some of the additional stories she has about like brushes with the men in black. Cause there were other events that happened later in life and there just wasn't enough time in the movie to get to those. But um, I had known because of that, that I wanted Susan involved in this. She also had such a vast knowledge of every aspect of the strange and unusual in, in the state of West Virginia that she was like, you'd, you'd be, you'd be an idiot to pass her over, you know, in a movie like this, you had to have her involved to help flesh everything out. We were extremely lucky 
because her health had already started to decline at that point, And she was aware she had cancer. Um, and when we interviewed her, it was, um, it was the interview and how we got it was a testament to who she was because we were without a location to film the interview. We had actually, we, Heather was like stretching, trying to find us a spot to film because it's very difficult at, at that point. Um, which was last November. So you're kind of like the height of COVID. We're trying to get, you know, we're trying to get a filming location. Um, and it was, it was extremely difficult. Heather called the oil and gas museum down there and mentioned that we needed to do an interview. And they said no at first. And then she mentioned Susan. And as soon as she said, Susan's name, the guy said, Oh, it's for Susan. We'll do anything for her. And so like she was, she was an amazing person. I, I got to hang out with her three times, and every time I was struck by her her knowledge, but her her like her kindness. And then um the other thing that gets overlooked is she was like a really amazing artist. Like um she's an amazing painter, she she was a poet. Um she kind of exemplifies everything that I love about the people of West Virginia. And so for me, like it was a no brainer to dedicate the movie to her. But um, I remember when she died, it hit me pretty hard. And I think Shannon was one of the first people I told or reached out to about it. Um, so, so it, it's great to have her stories in there, you know, about it, cause it speaks to her family history. So we're doing at least something to help document some of her family stories, the sightings of the UFOs, the men in black encounter that she had as a kid. But um I think I'm more I'm happier that we had a part in maybe putting her on a larger stage for some people over the course of Mothman legacy in this movie, because she really she was a, a huge figure in in West Virginia history, just folklore and history in general. That's cool. Yeah, Shannon, what's, what was it like working with her? I mean, again, she just had such a wealth of knowledge of not only West Virginia, but um, some of the most famous things to have happened there. I was so excited to meet her. And, you know, even without her, her passing on, I would still have said, I am, I was just so lucky to be in her presence. And then after Seth texted me and said that she had passed, I was, I was really blown away by that. And Susan and I actually had a couple of, you know, private moments in between filming and after filming. And it, it, like Seth, she's just such a warm human being. And people down in West Virginia really are just amazing and different and different in a wonderful way. And Susan really embodied that. But she also embodied the whole thing where, Ryan, this is somebody that you would have loved to have talked to because Seth was mentioning her personal stories. And that included uh, a, a bus, I think, of, of kids or a church bus over her childhood home. And they saw a UFO over her home. She, of course, had the experiences with the men in black. And then her own grandmother had a UFO sighting, which she labeled them tokens. She said they look like tokens, which is, I mean, that just harkens right back to Kenneth Arnold, right? Like the, yeah. the saucers and you don't know what else to call them. She called them tokens. And that was her grandmother. So you're talking about a family that had these experiences just running right through their veins right from when she was a kid. So uh, she lived and breathed this stuff and it was wonderful to talk to her. That's that yeah. speaks to the, that token thing speaks to the, 
wealth of sightings that take place in that state because you watch that movie and you might be like, okay, well, Susan's recounting these stories from her grandma and her family because she's a UFO slash paranormal person. So of course, like these stories are, she's, you know, like she's probably been funneled them or something. But the fact is like, it doesn't matter where you go in West Virginia. If you bring up UFOs for the most part, people have stories. And I found that in, Braxton County back in 2018 and 2017, when we were filming the Flatwoods monster, the most interesting stories that came to me while I was filming that movie weren't from like Ed and Fred and May, although the story, the Flatwoods monster stories is great, but they were these stories from uh, this girl whose grandma and grandpa lived in the hills outside of Braxton County. Who'd seen like UFOs laying behind their house and like all sorts of stuff. And these were totally like normal, just you know, folk that lived out in the country, but everyone's got, everyone will tell you some sort of story there about seeing something in the sky. It is, I can almost guarantee. And if they don't immediately recall it, they'll come up with it later and remind, remind themselves <laughs> and come and remind you of it. Right. Yeah. I, I honestly feel like that, that area is intrinsically linked to these phenomena. I mean, you mentioned Flatwoods monster. We've also got, you know, um, Mothman, obviously, we've got the Men in Black phenomenon, you've got Injured Cold, like, everything you can think of kind of, like, started in this area, and I thought that was amazing. You do cover Flatwoods in the movie as well, again, which was really cool to revisit that entire case, but um, one of the other ones I really wanted to touch on with you guys was Men in Black. You did a pretty extensive and in-depth sep- section in the movie about the Men in Black and kind of, like, how this became a big thing in West Virginia. So what was that like diving into, you know, the, the folklore behind all of this and the possible reality of it being, (laughs) being real, I guess would be the best way to put it. Shannon, what did you think about covering the men in black? Did you ever think you'd do that? Uh, I, I mean, I knew that we would at some point because you can't talk about UFOs without talking about men in black. But I, I just keep waiting for the black car to pull up and the men in the suits. You know, I'm, I'm hoping maybe after Night Visitors is done, maybe we, they're going to go, you're digging a little bit too deep now. We haven't had that yet. But yeah, the stories of the men in black. And, you know, uh, to go back to Susan again, she encountered them at one point in the woods, I think, behind her house. I mean, what in the world? Who are they? What are they? And the fact that I think it was Joe Perdue and Ron Lanham, we also touched on on them a little bit with those guys. You know, they just it's kind of like um, some kind of a demonic presence where they don't quite form right. They can't speak right. They can't they just can't do right. There's just something a little bit off about them. Mm-hmm. I think it was uh, Joe said, you know, they can't really just you write a something down properly and they can't they can't speak properly just something just a little bit off about these guys and they try really hard but it's a little bit weird so and i think that was something that also came up when we chatted with mark muncie of erie florida uh over skype about men in black and his injured cold side of things so you know there are still stories coming out about these men in black Yeah. And, you know, we've heard throughout the decades of like, oh, were these Air Force people that were putting on these suits and going and just messing with people like it was kind of your like, you know, initiation into the whatever Air Force special investigations like you got to go to this house 
and just F with this person's mind. Like just talk weird, act weird. Um, tell them it's going to be 40 minute meeting and it's exactly 40 minutes to the second, like you mentioned in the film. Um, a lot of people think that it was just, you know, the government messing with people. And then some people think they're aliens or they're um, these interdimensional beings. So, Seth, what do you make of the whole Men well, in Black thing? It's interesting. The Men in Black, in some ways, I think are like most most people's introduction to the weirder side of ufology. Mm-hmm. Because I remember like my my first experience learning about the men in black was through the Mothman prophecies. And it's it on the surface, it does have such a like mundane kind of appearance to it. Right. It seems, it just seems like your classic kind of like air force misinformation campaign, you know, and you there's, there's also the mental image we, we draw up of a man in black based on like the, the Will Smith movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into the weirder side of, uh, the men in black, it, it seems to fly in the face of that idea. Um, so I had wanted to cover it extensively at some point because when we made the Mothman of Point Pleasant, that movie is only like an hour and seven minutes and we didn't spend a ton of time on the men in black, despite the fact that they were very integral to, to the 66, 67 wave of sightings. Um, and, you know, like, I think we overlook men in black have been become such a part of like pop culture and ufology that, um, you know, we might forget that the origins kind of lie in the mountain state. I mean, I, I realize there's other men in black stories that exist outside of there that might predate, you know, the 66, 67 stuff. But when you think of where, what they're tied to, at least initially, it was the, it was the Mothman and the Mothman case. And I've talked to more men in black witnesses from point pleasant. then I've talked to Mothman witnesses in point pleasant, like more people saw men in black around that area than there were Mothman because the men in black are just showing up and hanging out on the street corner. I mean, (laughs) they were there and a lot of people encountered them. Um, I, I was excited to explore that. I was also really excited to find that Muncie's story kind of at least a little bit tied the two together. And then to have Susan kind of hint at the fact that she believes that injured cold was a man in black to begin with. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting connection too. So it was like, it all kind of, it all kind of aligned if you want it to, you know, you don't necessarily have to make those correlations if you don't, you don't think they exist, but, but some people do. So, um, I was, I was happy to, to get into that side of the subject, especially in the state of West Virginia. If I could go back, I think what I would have done, if I could go back to dark sky, I do this with every movie, like I start (laughs) picking apart after it's over. But like, if I could, if I could do, if I could go back or if I could film a dark sky too, I would, which wouldn't make any sense. But if I, if I did that, um, I would go to point pleasant and interview more of the men in black witnesses. Like, I think I would want a larger focus on the men in black. Cause I think that phenomenon speaks to the, to the larger topic that we're covering. And I think it's going to come into play in some way, Maybe not overtly, but I think it's going to come into play in Night Visitors, which is you know the follow up that we're working on next. Um, so it's, I was just happy to tell the Men in Black story. I love yeah. like I've talked before that I love like that Cold War era 
like ufology, the the cover ups and the, and the government stuff. I love like the MJ twelve stuff. That was like when I was first getting into all this. UFOs were more of my passion than Bigfoot was at the time. And MJ 12 was like one of the things I looked into first. And I realized that everyone's got sides on this, but I, I just love the idea of it. Like I love that era and the, and, and the visuals that it, it kind of brings to mind. If I ever make like a fictional UFO movie, that is the era where I'll set it. Absolutely. I think, you know, the whole spooks and kooks and like you said, Cold War, like, I think that's where the Project Blue Book television show really shined. Like a lot of people didn't like it because mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, over exaggerated everything. But um, man, just that time period is so integral to this entire flying saucer craze and where we are today it truly started in the atomic age and um it's fascinating i am so happy you guys covered that but um well let's talk about let's talk about davis for a minute now this was cool it wasn't you know you guys weren't just going around interviewing people you put yourselves in the shoes of the witnesses and you said i'm gonna go do a sky watch and we're gonna try to actually hunt for ufos and uh without giving away too much of the film um what was it like doing a sky watch out there? And what'd you, uh, what'd you walk away thinking, Shan? I know this kind of, this kind of affected you greatly in the film. Um, again, you don't have to tell too much if you don't want to, but yeah. How was it going out for a sky watch there? It was cold as Shisa. Was it? <laughs> yeah. It was freezing our nuggets off, man. No, that place is gorgeous. Uh, boulders everywhere you know it would be like some kind of a a a fey nightmare if there you know are fey in that area boulders (laughs) and and water and things and trees no but going out to dolly saws was absolutely incredible and i mean yeah how much do we want to give away about i would i would just talk about it shannon i would just talk talk about it because like it's in the mood i still feel like in the movie it's kind of vague as to what happened so i would just talk about it that is true. It is slightly vague. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> somewhere in the sky is exclusive. We're getting it. Thank right. you. That is right. You're welcome, everyone. No. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and to be honest, it it's more of a, a UFO sighting that that really I would probably like start snoring and fall asleep with. I mean, if I heard anybody else probably tell it, but when you see it, because it was the quintessential light in the sky la 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 but it was myself and matthew shang of the moth boys podcast and we he just goes hey look at that up there and i look and it is a a kind of a bluish whitish light and i see it immediately he didn't even really have to point it out that that specifically to me and it's moving extremely fast way faster than a conventional aircraft could fly at at least that we know of and it it kind of was shooting down towards the the horizon and it just disappeared we're like what the hell where did that go what where what is going on and then it reappears again and it's making this crazy fast motion again and going this is crazy. This is BS. What is going on here? And we're just, we're really trying to watch it. And at that point, uh, Andrew, our, uh, our DP was, he was filming and he's, he's also getting some activity as well. And you know, that actually, that is real footage that we 
we got that you will see in Dark Sky. That's what Andrew captured. And that's exactly what was going on. It was like the night sky was just like, hey, you guys want to see a show? We're going to, yeah, we're going to show you guys what's going on here. And Mm -hmm. I was really blown away just because of the fact that, and we were making that those are the live comparisons. That's not a recreation of going, that is not a plane. There is no way there could be a human being, as again, as far as we know, in an aircraft or in any kind of craft making that that kind of a, a trajectory, taking on those those G's like that. Um, it's it's really like I said, if if I was taking this report from somebody in my show, I go hope they're going to spice it up, you know, because this is a little <laughs> bit of a snooze fest. But when you see it for yourself. It's very exciting. So finally, out at Dolly Sods, Dolly Sods produced Shannon's first official UFO sighting. So that was amazing. Love it. Now you can say you have been in their shoes, like literally. It, it is a game changer for sure. You'll have to watch Dark Sky though, to find out about my missing time and my sore bum. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The real story. Yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, Ryan Spreck here. When I'm not making podcasts, I am listening to them. Seriously, I'm obsessed. And if there's one person and one show I turn to every week to hear stories of the strange, the weird, and the unexplained, it's of course gotta be Jim Harold's Campfire. With over 500 episodes, Den of Geek called Jim Harold's Campfire the best tool we have currently in existence to hear real-life scary stories from other human beings since the actual campfire was invented. The concept is pretty simple. Jim talks to other regular folks and strange stuff that's happened to them. And yes, that includes UFOs and UAPs, along with cryptids, ghosts, and true head-scratching mysteries. One of my all-time favorite stories is one where a woman almost ended up being absorbed by a painting in a mysterious bar that seemed like something straight out of the Twilight Zone. Or there's the story of a young man who encountered a spider-like creature with baby hands. Then there's the story of a woman in England who encountered what she thought was a banshee only to suffer a horrible tragedy only moments later. Now, not all of the stories in Jim Harold's campfire are horrifying. Some are actually pretty heartwarming, like a visit from a past loved one, or a peaceful near-death experience. Regardless, there are true and fascinating stories told by ordinary people who've had extraordinary experiences. So, pull up a virtual log, get cozy, and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Somewhere in the Skies. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis... We have tons of rewards for you in return, including shoutouts on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Thank you and keep looking up. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Seth mentioned earlier the, um, the coal mines. I have to ask about this. Now, you know, yeah, in UFO history, you know, we have all these cases about UFOs being sighted over nuclear installations and, and um, you know, over water a lot is another big one, these USOs. But um, in the film, you guys make some interesting comparisons to uh, the coal mines of West Virginia, which was a big thing in a lot of the towns in West Virginia. It was the lifeblood of a lot of these, these towns that were also experiencing high amounts of UFO activity. So, um, so A... What were the connections that you guys were trying to make with those? And B, what was it like actually going to a cave and investigating? Again, this you guys went all out for this one. So yeah. Well that that cave too, that that cave does connect to a mine. Um it's on the other side, but it it's it's difficult to tell because that cave that cave is apparently massive. Um and one of our crew had something really weird happen in there, so we might be going back at some point to do a hauntings in there. Oh. Um but but um the so the interesting thing there's a couple things um one is that cave thing is or that mine thing is holding true beyond west virginia Mm -hmm. i'm probably not going to go too deep into this but we've already started doing the same thing in other states and it's holding true in colorado especially um where there's like a thousand mines per county or something crazy but the interesting thing about west virginia and sightings near coal mines is um, the fact that that happens in areas that aren't known for coal mining. So th- what you're going to hear when the movie comes out are people saying, well, obviously there's going to be a preponderance of reports near coal mines because there's coal mines everywhere in the state of West Virginia, but that's not true. Like there, there are, there's a huge number of coal, coal mines in the state of West Virginia, but they're not, they're not everywhere. And there are certain parts of the state that, have a larger number of mines than other parts. Braxton County is not known for coal mining. Uh, I don't know. I I think that has to do with the fact that the railroad runs through there. That's what they told us when we were there. However, there happens to have been a mine that was opened up in 1952. 
Okay, so so like it it just so happens that that's the same year the Flatwoods happens. So there's there's like little weird lines you can draw between those things. Um, we don't know what any of that means. If anything, we're just looking for for connecting points between the two, and that's that seems to be and at least with the state of West Virginia, that was the most noticeable correlation that you could draw between the sightings that happened and coal mines. The other one that didn't make it into the movie is religious centers. So um, church sightings near churches, um, like like that, that's a really common thing. Sightings by church goers, pastors, things like that. There's a lot of that in West Virginia too. Again, you know, like I guess technically you could say you're near the Bible belt. So you can, you can say it's not that surprising, especially given the number of churches within the state of West Virginia. But those are the two, two most obvious connecting points between like, if you're looking for these, this is the huge number of sightings. What connects those sightings? Those are the two things. Now people want to talk more about like the sightings near the chemical Valley or nuclear plants or things like that. Plants that might, manufacture the individual components for nuclear uh nuclear stuff but um that's not where the predominant number of reports are happening they're happening near you know if you're if you're trying to look at the at the largest number of sightings that's what they align with are the the mines um and what's funny is we started this by saying okay well the the largest number of sightings actually seem to to correlate to energy in general Mm -hmm. and then like we pretty quickly realized you could throw that out and say just coal mines and it still worked. Like every single sighting, every person we interviewed on this movie had a sighting near a coal mine. And that's, I get it. Like there's a lot of coal mining in West Virginia. It, it's not the case in every single County and yet it's still held true in those places. So whatever that means, I don't know. We're still working on that. Shannon's going to go hunt the, the, the goblins in the next project. Ooh, nice. I can, I'm seeing you with the, uh, the pickaxe and the helmet on and everything. Shan, you're going to be like Zoolander coming out of the, uh, the mine. (laughs) We got Uh, the black lung. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, uh, That's, you know, and we said it in film, this is not a new idea, but, it's just so cool that you know we're in these places we're talking to these people and we're going holy holy crap look at what is going on this is actually a thing that is happening this is not um some fake stuff that we're coming up with this that is where all of the evidence pointed us so there you go yeah yeah and again like you have to wonder why you know why are some ufos going over nuclear plants and some are going over coal mines like is is the coal mines like the poor man's alien race you know they're still on like fuel whereas these other ones have gone yeah. nuclear like you, you yeah. truly i know i'm joking but you do have to wonder why certain ufo activity happens over water over nuclear over coal mines but um that's cool i'm so happy that you guys are just kind of digging into that and going further because i do believe there's there's probably something to it and there's got to be something too with the appalachian mountains i mean you know it's even mentioned in your film it's one of the oldest like mountain ranges in the world and that there's been ufo activity for so long so what role do you think you know the appalachian mountains play in all this is it is it a lot bigger than we could ever truly expect i mean i think i think appalachia in general is 
a hub of weirdness. And I say that as someone who's now made like six of my movies in that area (laughs) and, you know, multiple on the trail of, I mean, even the journey, which did not seem like an Appalachian movie on the trail of Bigfoot, the journey, we ended up in Appalachia because we ended up in Western Massachusetts and the mountain range we were on is the Northern tip of the Appalachian mountains. So like you can't, it's almost like if you're on the East coast, you can't escape getting away from, you know, the, the Appalachian mountains. I don't know why that is, but it goes far beyond UFOs. I mean, there, it's just a hub of weirdness in general. Like wh- whatever, whatever you got, it's, it's probably got some sort of history in that area. It could be the fact that it's so old. I mean, I love the idea that that's an area where those mountains might've seen uh, UFO activity long before there were people here, you know, <laughs> like, like that's such a cool uh, concept in my head anyway. And, I don't know. I don't know what it is about that particular area. I could make my. I can make every movie in Appalachia and be happy, um, <laughs> because I I grew up in in Appalachia, like in my my part of Ohio where I grew up is is you know eastern Ohio, far, far like southeast Ohio, and we're right on the on the line. So I I kind of like consider myself Appalachian, and and I've talked before too. Like when we were making Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. I was drawing off of memories of watching TV news reports from Wheeling, West Virginia. I think I talked about this with Shannon when we were making the movie. I was drawing off of, because we had a TV with like rabbit ears. We'd set it on the table and then you like tune it in and you, you watch the TV news or whatever. We would watch the Wheeling news station. And I can remember them doing stories on like UFO sightings in the area and ghost like ghostly every halloween they did a ghost special on on the nightly news and i remember watching that stuff as a kid and being like why is why are why is there so much weird crap happening near wheeling and like in in the ohio valley and i I, that all ties back to appalachia i mean honestly end of the day i'm such a freak and into the stuff i am because i come from appalachia and you grow up aware of it like that's how it is what happens yeah yeah i love that i love that there's such a history of weirdness and like you've only just begun like you know it, it's really only begun there i love that well, so. we 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 could easily um we could take the cut material from dark sky and make an entire second dark sky or we could have made like a three hour cut of dark sky very easily we interviewed 16 different people for this movie so it's like for for a for a what it's like a ninety minute movie. It's not, I don't even know if it's ninety. It might be eighty minutes movie, eighty minute movie. And there's like sixteen individual people, and every single person has some sort of encounter of their own. That's what I said about like we had to cut Susan Shepard's some of her later MIB stuff out of the movie just because the movie it didn't fit into the overall arch of the story. But there's so much more like we could still get into even with what just what we had to cut out of the movie, let alone if we went and interviewed more people. Like we only explored the northern I think the the northern panhandle of the state. So we're only up in like the furthest south we got was Parkersburg. Um so we're we're pretty much just along the tip and then up toward like the Virginia, Maryland border areas. That's where we are. Um we we never got far south and south is where the preponderance of reports are. Um, and the interesting thing about that is South is also where the predominant number of coal mines are. So every, everything aligns. There we go. 
bringing it back around. I love it. Um, and you guys interviewed the granddaughter of a Project Blue Book person as well, which um, we'll say for for the viewers to watch. So yeah, it's just amazing how much history is in this one place. I love it. Um, well, I do have a couple of listener questions for you guys. If you don't mind sticking around for those, I'll fire yeah. them off for you. Cool. Um, let's see. Trudy over on Patreon. Our Patreon subscribers get a uh, priority to asking you guys questions. Um, Trudy asks, I'd be curious to know if there are any uh, MIB cases documented recently say in the last five years and if so do they share similar attributes to historical encounters or have they evolved with the times have our men in black gotten all like gucci'd up and like slick back hair and yeah has anything changed with that um, <laughs> well i mean she should probably be asking you ryan you're probably the the best guy to ask about that stuff i personally haven't heard of any of that that new stuff but i don't probably dig into it as much as maybe seth has heard of something fresh and new on the mib anything seth hold on let me unmute this uh yeah like in terms of the mib stuff i think there's been a change just because i think initially there was there was more of like the the bowler hat type reports and like the weird um I mean, they had the attire of like the the era, whereas today um, it's interesting she'd ask that because Ron and Joe actually made made the connection between MIB and um, the reports from around the time of the the Tic Tac video and and the uh, the what was it Air Force people that showed up and confiscated yeah. the videos and stuff and I thought that was actually like a pretty good connection to make so. That change might be happening, you know, like that's yeah. the only thing I can think of. I don't know if they're wearing Gucci, though. <laughs> yeah, that's not in the uh, the Air Force budget yet. Yeah. yet. Not yet, at least. But no, that's such a good point, Seth. Yeah, there are these guys who showed up on the ship, um, didn't say a word, um, didn't really have any noticeable, you know, things or symbols on them and took the radar tapes. And and that was it. I see a, I see a little man in black right over there. Coming in the photo. Coming he's, in. He's, he's trying to stay just out of frame. Ah, So professional. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I think, you know, yesterday's Men in Black are probably today's, like, it, these disinformation agents we hear about, you know? A lot of people think someone like Louis Salazando might be a Men in Black. Like, he's yeah. the new version of that, trying to muddy the waters and everything. Or um, these people like Richard or what's his name? Yeah, Richard Doty, who went mm-hmm. around spreading all these false lies and was one of the people, Seth, who kind of got the Majestic 12 papers out there and everything, too. So, yeah, yeah. maybe we're dealing with a much more uh, less, I guess, weird and um, bowler hat wearing Cadillac driving men in black. I don't know. But, yeah, that yeah. was an interesting question by Trudy. Um, let's see. Um, Brendan on Patreon asks... Does Small Town Monsters have any upcoming plans for field research in Missouri? We have a lot of activity going on, and Momo is still at large. Dang, man. I I actually would love to get back to Missouri for UFO stuff, um, in all seriousness. Like, we when we were making uh, – watch the cord, buddy. When we were making Momo, um, one of the, the ways I did – 
uh, research for it was to join the the Missouri, what is it, the Missouri like UFO investigation groups on Facebook, and I was like looking into those UFO sightings in the area, um, and that that's that's an area that's a lot like West Virginia where they have a a ton of activity, um, and yet I feel like it's overlooked. Like Missouri, um, a lot of those Midwest states they, they seem to get overlooked um all the all the activity that happens there but i would definitely i would love to go back there um i know shannon and i have the next location kind of set um and that i mean i don't really it we're, we're still working on exactly where but we're going to be filming end of september on the next one and then after that we'll probably reconvene and figure out what's up next for us where we're going next for the series so missouri would definitely be an interesting one the other one i always wanted to cover like with a ufo connection is um we were supposed to make a movie after terror in the skies or no it was actually one of the movies we were going to make instead of terror in the skies called what is it lucky hill there's a place in indiana that's kind of like a very condensed version of the chestnut ridge where all this like weird activity happens in this one place and it was a location that I learned about when we were trying to do research for that movie. And um, we ended up making Terror in the Skies instead. But, yeah, I would love to get to Missouri is the short answer. <laughs> cool. Awesome. Coming your way, Brandon. Coming your way. Um, my camera got all blurry. Oh, no, it's better. Okay. Awesome. Foot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blob Squatch, as Micah Hanks would call him. <laughs> awesome. All right. Here's our next one. Mothman46 on Twitter asks, I'm a big fan of Shannon and Seth's work. I hear they are both cool. My question to them would be, if UAPs are proven to exist and are extraterrestrial, how do you think it will impact the religions of the world as we know it? That hypothetical we always hear about. Like- so, Ra- so, Okay, whoa. Uh, so Mothman46 was actually with us the night that Shannon had her sighting. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I did not know that. He neglected to tell me that. We have yeah. heard he's pretty cool too. Yeah, he was there. <laughs> he's awesome. That's a big question. It's a pretty like, big one, yeah. Yeah, that's like one of the biggest. I don't know. We've talked about this on Monsteropolis because my co-host is a, is a Lutheran minister. And I think his thing has always been like, it would, in some ways, I think it would strengthen the faith of a lot of religions. I don't know that you would see a complete collapse. I just never buy, buy into that. Um, I also think one of the things we always talked about is like, most world religions are pretty fantastical when you look at them in terms of like the content. It's already kind of written into, the paranormal is already kind of a part of it. So when you get into UFOs, it's kind of, Sure, it's there. Um, so I'm sure there would be some impact, but I, I can't. I don't know what it would be. I'm not smart enough, guys. When <laughs> oh, stop. Uh, when you guys were talking about that on Monsteropolis, because uh, I mean, Mark's just—he's a sharp guy. I mean, so when you were talking about it, you know, strengthening people's resolve in their mm-hmm. faith, would the thinking there then be that well, God? It, you know, whatever you want to call God or whoever it is, or she, or whoever, whatever mm-hmm. they created us. So they created the aliens as well. Like we're all like one kind of a, I, I would assume. Yeah. I would assume that is his, his thinking when it comes to that. Yeah. So. I, I vividly remember being in confession when I was like, God, maybe 
14, 15 and asking my priest, you know, behind the partition, like, Hey man. Yeah. Like I lied. Maybe I uh, stole a piece of gum this week or something from the, uh, the convenience store. Um, but what I really want to talk to you about is aliens. Is it okay for me to believe in this stuff or am I going to go to hell? Like what's yeah. up with that? And, um, <laughs> it was quiet for like almost a minute. It was so awkward. And then finally I could hear him kind of laughing and he just goes, no, I, it would only strengthen the power of God and what he can create. And um, that was coming from a Catholic priest. And I know a lot of religions and, um, you know, leaders of religion, not leaders, but, you know, people of faith say, yeah, like, of course, there's probably endless civilizations out there. It only shows again, how powerful your creator is. So I, I've always kind of looked at it that way, that if we do find that life, if we do find out that, you know, all these things being seen in West Virginia are extraterrestrial or interdimensional, like, it's just, it makes everything so much more complex and powerful if there is a higher power that created it all or we're all just in a matrix and we're seeing the glitches i don't know but um yeah i don't think it would shake religion as much as a lot of people think Um, assess having a glitch right now is your home haunted or what's going on oh geez what's going on this is the last time I'm going to sit in here is all I know. Cause like I, this light makes it look like I'm on fire. Like I've been consumed by fire. Yeah. It's, uh, You're in hell for talking about religion and UFOs, yeah. man. That's what's time going to on. go uh, investigate Seth's house. I'm calling yeah. Heather right now. Stat. The next haunting. Yep. Um, <laughs> Awesome. Here is just two more for you guys here. Listener questions. Uh, Sean on Facebook asks, how did it feel, Shannon, to see something for yourself? Finally, a UFO. Has it piqued your interest to see another one? Or um, do you want to see something again? Maybe something more definitive, like a close up craft or. Yeah. You want to get on that ship? What do you what do you what do you think? Is that uh, is it? Maybe my my brother there, Sean, Kevin, Jason. It might be. It might be. Okay. Um, Yeah, so everybody knows I'm kind of a cryptid, random one-off, you know, story or a a Bigfoot mostly kind of gal. And UFOs has never been a, a passion of mine. Yes, it's interesting. And I do have plenty of UFO encounter stories on my show. Uh, So, yes, after seeing essentially that what i'm assuming is the same ufo twice with matt it's it has lit a little bit more of a fire for the ufo subject for me absolutely would i rather see a delta shaped craft and hear a humming and then see some kind of a weird being come out of one sure maybe save the missing time jokes aside because i don't think that would be super fun when you talk to uh, because as much as I like to joke and make fun of things and laugh about hurt bums and things, uh, I it's horrible what happens to people. At least their perception, whatever it may be, whatever you believe happened to those people, doesn't matter. Because to them, that is goddamn real. And it's horrible. So that I, w- I could pass on. But I would love to see an actual craft someday. Uh, whether or not, and if it is in fact John Kevin Jason, he saw a silent uh, Delta-shaped craft just outside Area 51. We talked to him for first season of On the Trail UFOs. And I think that would be incredible to see something like that. Now, even Sean admits, if that's the right Sean, he admits he thinks that's a, a conventional craft. They were out testing. 
just light years ahead of, uh, no pun intended there, light years ahead of what we would know of that our own government has. But um, yes, sorry, long answer, long-winded there. I would absolutely love to dig more into ufos and seeing that out at dolly sods absolutely uh help that nice awesome yeah again i know i said and uh, god what is going on with my camera the men in black are really messing it's with us the, talking about the men in black yeah. it's gotta be man yeah. i don't know wow it looks pretty pretty trippy anyways um i think it was in your first season of on the trail um you asked me shan like would you want to see something again because i had my pretty dramatic sighting when i was a kid and um i said i think i recall saying no i'm good like i'm good um i feel like i'm kind of coming around like i'm ready i i think maybe because so many people are talking about it now like i i feel like FOMO almost like I'm like, Oh, I want to have another one again. Like people are seeing stuff. I want to, I want to see something again. So yeah, we'll have to get out there and uh, sky watch the next time the three of us are together. And hopefully we'll finally have that, uh, that close encounter of the fourth kind, maybe uh, third kind. Let's go with third kind. Third kind is good. I'm third kind is good. Yeah. yeah. Safe distance. All right. Last listener question. Connor on Instagram asks, to Seth, what is the coolest Medina County legend that you know of? Um, so when I moved into, yeah, I, I live in Medina County now. So unfortunately, I'm, I'm outside of I'm outside of Appalachia now. But um, the the coolest that I'm aware of is the River Sticks Monster, which is the one that I came came upon when I first moved to the area. And it's like there's a tiny little village near where I live in Wadsworth called River Sticks. Um, and I learned as much about that area and their local monster as I could when I moved in. So basically during the 70s, there were all these sightings of this hairy creature, especially along the roads and in the forests near the uh, Metro Park over there. Now, the sightings completely stop in the in the very early 2000s, which is around the same time that all the development happened in Medina County really started to kick up. And that area is completely developed now. And I mean, there's really if Bigfoot exists, it's not going to hide out in Medina County. That's all I can tell you. But the, the river sticks monster stories are super cool. And river sticks itself is really interesting because it's such a, uh, apparently like when settlers moved into the area, they named it river sticks because if you went into that area, you did not come out like you, you died there. So uh, I, I just think you can kind of like, cast back in your mind as to why they might have named it that. And it's just such a cool kind of area. And to have a Bigfoot legend there is, is pretty awesome. So that's my favorite. Cool. Cool. Wow. Yeah. The imagery just like evoked in my mind from river sticks. Oh God. No, I'm good. I don't want to run into that. Um, that's all I got for you guys here for um, listener questions. Um, so of course I have to ask what comes next uh where can we find on the trail of ufos dark sky and yeah give us all of the uh the good links and everything seth let's start with you brother where can we find the movie and everything you're up to uh the movie will be available on august 3rd on all the major like vod platforms so itunes and uh google play and all all those places amazon apparently occasionally still distributes um independent uh non-fiction content so we'll be on there um, 
we're distributing through 1091 for the foreseeable future. We're locking in next year's deal as well. So we have four more titles coming out next year from them as well. We still have four this year. So uh, there's, there's a lot happening. There's eight titles between now and next year. And that's not including all the stuff we're doing with YouTube. So, um, oh, actually, no, 10, 10 titles. Yeah, we, we just locked in two. We actually have two additional titles coming out this year that we haven't even announced yet that are coming out through 1091. Um, so we've got a lot coming um, on the where we are working on another on the trail of UFOs. We had kind of announced it softly announced it last year called night visitors. Um, we will actually film that and release it. Uh, we'll film it actually in a couple months, a month and a half, something like that. And then we'll release it. That'll be a next year release 2022. Uh, and that will take us to um, probably Colorado and Wyoming is where we're looking at. So we're going to move, uh, out of this part of the country and back over to the, you know, to the, to the more mountainous regions of the West. Um, so we're excited to, to do that next, but yeah, there's a lot happening between now and the end of this year. Um, Rougarou on the trailer or no, it's the how of the Rougarou. Uh, actually 1091 renamed it. It's skinwalker, the how of the Rougarou. And that'll be out on, um, August or September I don't know. It's like September 15th. <laughs> I can't keep up. It's been a busy year. It's been a busy year. Yeah. Wow. Skin. Wa- Ooh, that's, that's exciting. Awesome. And what's the website, Seth? Uh, smalltownmonsters.com. And, um, and yeah, visit our YouTube channel too. We do, we do new content literally every week. We've got three videos that went up this week. We do a show called paranormal unexplained, um, which is some of this STM crew basically debunking, uh, paranormal evidence videos. It's super funny. Um, it's not at all serious and it's, it's just a fun watch. Um, that's the one Aaron heads up, um, in all his mulleted glory. Um, so you guys should definitely check that out. And then we do a show over, there's another, uh, episodic series that comes out over there called beyond the trail as well. And then if, if you're a channel member, you get all this like behind the scenes stuff too. So it's, it's a cool, it's a cool place where we're trying to grow it over the next couple of years. Awesome. Yep. YouTube's where it's at. Shan, give us everything. What are you up to? What's going on over at uh, Beyond the Fray Publishing? And uh, yeah, give us all the, the goodies on what's to come on Into the Fray. Well, uh, I mean, ITF is still, you know, running weekly. The Thursday show is is coming in hot. I'm not ever going to stop doing that as long as I'm breathing and I can talk, I suppose. That would be kind of an important thing. Uh, but yeah, Beyond the Fray... I probably can't really mention some of the authors that we're going to bring on board quite yet, but we are still signing folks. Um, if you're interested, anybody out there, come on over. We'd love to have you. We'd love to talk to you. Um, it's been a very, very busy year, and I'm expecting next year to absolutely blow up for uh, Beyond the Fray. So that's beyondthefraypublishing.com. And, you know, you don't have to be an author to go there. Just go there and check out our books and our authors. Ryan, of course, is one of them. Uh, somewhere in the skies. And Into the Fray is intothefrayradio.com. And, of course, you can find me on all the podcatchers, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Awesome. And we do have to mention, as well, our good friend Andrew over at Black Triangle Coffee is doing a very special promo for the entire month of August. Starting August 3rd, Andrew is doing a 25% off all of his coffees over at Black Triangle Coffee, one of which is the official Somewhere in the Skies coffee, which you can get over there as well. So, That's a good one. Oh, thanks, man. I've, I've had that, yeah. 
Yeah. See, and that's the thing. Andrew is so um, amazing to work with people on the perfect coffee because I'm a huge coffee nerd. I worked at a Sasquatch themed coffee shop for two years and um, I really learned to appreciate coffee. And he worked with me to find like the perfect blend of what I would want in a coffee and, um, you know, for the perfect night to go sky watching. And that's what we came up with. But um, yeah, I know he's got a Skinwalker one. He's got... um, what else does he have over there? A Bigfoot one, I believe, as well. Um, but yeah, he wants to celebrate the release of Dark Sky with a very special promo. Um, 25% off all bags of coffee. So head on over to blacktrianglecoffee.com and help celebrate the release of On the Trail of UFOs, Dark Sky. Um, but other than that, guys, I have to thank you again for the work you're doing. It is desperately needed in the UFO field and beyond. And I have to thank you once again for coming on Somewhere in the Skies. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.